Hello and welcome to Getting My Life Together with me, your host, Rima Kari, a podcast series in which I interview a new expert every week about a certain area in my life, from mental health to love and communication, in order to figure out how to become a proper, functioning adult. If you're an almost graduate like me or a 20-something-year-old still living at home, this is the podcast for you. What is the worst thing about being an adult? The hardest thing about adulting or... Being an adult is the expectations everyone holds on you. But I do worry a lot about my next step. I feel like that's the hardest thing. It causes so much anxiety and stress, and then you're stuck thinking, okay, but what's gonna happen? Today's episode is all about mental health because God knows all of us need some therapy in our life. I interviewed ITV Morning's show resident psychologist, writer, and expert media commentator Emma Kenny about dealing with stress and anxiety as a millennial because, trust me, all millennials are extremely stressed. What do you think? Why do you think so many millennials are stressed? Like, why are so many 20 something year olds running around with stress and anxiety all the time? I think that stress is genuinely a phenomenon of being in a really modern society where immediacy has played a great part in our day to day lives. I think that one of the things about being human is we've evolved so quickly. So we went from being what I suppose were foragers and scavengers suddenly discovering fire and dogs and of course the consequence of that meaning that we were in a position where we got to the top of the food chain but unfortunately our brain hasn't managed to catch with some of the dangerous evolution already so what happens therefore is we've still got all of the old nasties like cortisol and adrenaline which are great if we're running away from a favorite tube tide they're not so good if you're dealing with instagram likes so you've got to a position now where day to day you are dealing with genuine issues to do with brain chemistry and immediacy so one of the reasons why we've got problems now is because the expectations on young people are huge. I mean, I think it's probably in the first society I've been aware of in many, many decades where they're not going to own their own home and probably jobs aren't going to be for life and there isn't the same kind of structures that protect them in old age and people have huge expectations of millennials anyway. And then if you add to that the version of opinion, I think there's a huge burden of opinion now from the older age groups towards millennials, which suggests that they're cotton wool or that they're snowflakes. And it's all entirely untrue. I think that they're probably dealing with the most stressful and confusing age that we've experienced. I mean, there's some wonders about it. It's fabulous, you know, that we've got so much access to technology and it's fabulous that we've got so much opportunity to travel. But actually the counterproductive area of that is that we spend less time with each other as humans and we spend more time on our earth and we don't necessarily understand the real tools that make us happy. So that, in a nutshell, I think is one of the reasons why most millennials, in fact most humans, are more stressed than we have been in other generations. And do you think there's a lack of education around how to deal with stress and anxiety and that's why so many um, young people just tend to ignore their mental health issues and just try to push through it under pressure? I do believe these days that the academic system is so flawed that 
what we've told children as they're growing up is there is a model of success and failure. And it's a very clear model where it says that if you're good at these small parameters, such as English and math, then you're either intelligent or not intelligent. So the trouble with that is that we teach children early on whether they are considered viable or non-viable in society. And actually, very few people fit the parameters of education. Very few people actually do fit that model. So therefore, we teach a default model of coping, which says this is success is based on your academic quotient. But actually, success is based on who you are as a human being. We do very little to teach children early on that that's what matters. We do very little to give them emotional literacy. We don't teach them in a kinesthetic way where every child can learn. We're not really interested in education children around how it is to be a happy, healthy human, because for whatever reason, that doesn't create government standards that they're happy with, but that is the thing that needs to change. So yes, we absolutely don't teach children how to deal with stress. We don't teach adults how to deal with stress. And I think part of that is because people don't necessarily even as adults know how to deal with their own stress levels, but the remedy for it is quite simple. It's just that it probably isn't the same in league tables that you'd be able to generate results if you actually taught people how If someone continues to ignore their mental health issues and ignores how to deal with their stress and anxiety, how does that end up affecting their day-to-day life in, uh, say, relationships, uh, friendships, finding jobs? I mean, I think that stress and anxiety, and anxiety and depression, those are such limiters in life. Because, one, they feel genuinely dreadful to experience. I don't think that people really understand how dreadful those kind of feelings are. You know, the brain doesn't have the option to tell you it's in pain apart from to tell you emotionally. That's how you hear that your brain is struggling. You hear it in pain, emotional discourse. But often when you experience it, you just don't know what on earth to do with it. You don't know who to talk to about it. You don't know what's wrong with you. You think that it must be only you who's going through these things. And because you don't necessarily have the equipment to deal with it, like to speak to your friends about it, to talk to your family about it, because you feel like you've done something wrong, you obviously end up feeling even more imprisoned. So the problem with having those kind of feelings on a day-to-day basis is it makes you not want to go out, it makes you not want to answer the phone, it makes you not want to do any work, it makes you feel like there's no hope. And those feelings are tremendously difficult to deal with. And unfortunately, because we still have a stigma around understanding that there was nothing wrong with having those feelings and actually what you needed to use it as a trigger to change the way that you're living and to do things that are more constructive so you have a better life, people end up stuck in that cycle. And you work with people in their 10s and 15 years old and they'll still be depressed and stressed and anxious in their 40s unless they're given the strategies that are required to help them. When does um, stress as like, say like stressing over a project or stressing over exam turn into like an actual mental health issue? When do you start to differentiate between those two? I mean, the thing about mental health is it's different to mental illness. So it's completely normal to have periods within your mental health that are less favourable. So as you noted, you do an exam and you think to yourself, well, actually, I'm really stressed I've got to do this exam. Well, that's contextual. Of course, you're stressed don't want to fail your exam or yes you've got an assignment you want to get it in or maybe you're having an issue in a relationship your boyfriend or your girlfriend is not happy with you so you feel these reactionary stress and just it affects your mental health but you can track back and understand why there's been a change in it when it becomes mental illness that's when it becomes debilitating and limiting and it affects your wider life in a more long-term response so if you have constant anxiety and stress 
and the consequence of that is you don't go to work or you don't do your work or you don't have a relationship. These are the things that would then say, actually, we've tripped with something which is about managing our mental health and well-being to becoming more of a mental illness. So it's at that point that I would say it's a mental illness. But ideally, when you start having those initial feelings and they start to feel a little bit out of control, even if it is just about assignment, it's still worthwhile treating it in a way that you attend to that mental health and well-being before it becomes a bigger problem. What are small steps then that people can take at home to improve their um, stress and anxiety levels? And like from, say, from just doing something from their own bed to actually going to see a therapist, what's your advice? I think one of the most important things that people understand is that we've been telling people for aeons what you need to remove anxiety and stress. And we've been told a million times in the press, we've been told by people like me, and yet for whatever reason, Human beings don't necessarily listen to the obvious, but it's there. But what you need to do to deal with anxiety and stress is quite a simple equation. First of all, you need to do things that are nice for other people. So if you can get a job volunteering, if you can go and visit somebody older in your community, if you can go on a nature work and walk and listen pick, if you can do something for your community that reminds you of your intrinsic worth and impact on the world, that's number one. If you can spend time around people who love you, who genuinely connect with you, who make you feel safe, who remind you of your worth, and who, irrespective of what you look like, irrespective of what your success is, they tell you that you have meaning. If you also go out regularly and talk to people, just anybody, go into the shop, have a natter with the news agent, talk to somebody at a bus stop, the more socialisation you give yourself, the more likely you are to reduce stress. If you involve yourself in community experiences, whether that's joining local interest groups, meeting other young people who want to hang out with you and who learn to accept you for who you are, Add to that a bit of meditation, add to that a bit of mindful practice, add to that a healthy diet and some exercise, and you will have alleviated 90% of your stress. If you can add to that an understanding that you will always be able to pay your bills because you've got enough skills to go and work in a shop at worst, or you know, if you're not wanting to have a big career, or at best you can go and be a solicitor, whatever, it doesn't really matter, but if you can add to that a bit of aspiration, then that's even better. But it's not challenging to manage the way that anxiety presents itself but we spend a lot of our time doing things that work against it such as having lots of time on, online lots of time on screen not really going out of our house drinking too heavily maybe taking recreational drugs maybe not looking after our diet then we ask the question why am i stressed and anxious so because i'm doing this podcast um i've kind of set up a small challenge for myself to help with my own anxiety which is i started journaling and it's yeah. kind of, it was kind of too like amazing I was going to ask, what are your thoughts on journaling? Like, is it actually very beneficial? I personally journaled my entire life. So I have my journals from when I was an embarrassed child. I spend much time reading those because it's rather humiliating seeing how I felt when I was 12 years old. Yeah. But what I realized early on was the more I spoke to myself, the more I got down my feelings. Firstly, there was a catharsis in that experience. And secondly, it was a way of getting to know me in a whole new way. And I think that people don't realise that you don't realise how much you change in life and you get to know yourself in a completely new way. I think creating that mindful practice, because it is mindful practice, when you take some time out and you just allow yourself to connect with the self, whether that be writing or meditating, you're bringing yourself back to the self. And that's very powerful. So without a doubt, in my opinion, if you can just give yourself time to journal, um, or if you don't want to journal, do things like record notes on your phone just a way of connecting with yourself because 
therapy is expensive. Universities are usually quite good. They usually have university services, but you know, in general, it's quite hard to get therapy. So things like journaling and recording notes to the self, that's a way of speaking to the self. Same with poetry, same with like music, anything creative. If you're an artist, again, doing art, you know, I'm like a five-year-old with webcams, I'm used to that, but I know that people get a great deal of comfort from things that the self does creatively the self, definitely. What I felt like was um, whenever I started writing my feelings down, I just felt like they were being validated because in my head, right. I was always thinking like, oh, I'm, I might be overreacting and this doesn't mean anything, blah, blah, blah. And then when I actually started writing down my feelings on paper, I started to see that, no, actually, this is how I truly felt at that moment. And whether I'm overreacting or not, that's, it's still valid. Absolutely. And even more so that when you actually put them down on paper, you realise that it doesn't really matter what our issues are to anybody else. You know, what matters are the issues that we have to ourselves. And I think that one of the things that millennials get attacked with all the time is this idea that they're really indulgent and they're not really thinking about, you know, the wide picture and they don't really understand the real trials and tribulations of life. But I think it's so much negativity that's given towards millennials per se and indeed Generation Y growing up. And we forget that, you know, in every generation, growing and developing as a human being, it's connected with pain. It really doesn't matter where you come from, what your socioeconomic standards, you know, as a human being, growing and connecting and dealing to learn with mortality and understanding love and loss, these are things that are not exclusive to you, depending on your wage bracket or depending on your age group. These are human experiences. And when you lose something as you're growing up, like a relationship, it is incredibly painful. It doesn't matter whether you're 16 or 60, or when you realise that you're going to lose people that you love in your life, doesn't matter how old you are or what your status is. So these kind of experiences, to get them down and to acknowledge the humanness and also the beauty and the growth of us, because I think that one of the things that blows my mind about human beings is they're so multifaceted and often unaware of just how fantastic they are. And so doing that biting just allows you to have that connection, really, and to recognise just how multi-skilled and multifaceted and incredible you are as a human being. Um, okay, and that's all of the questions that I have. Is there anything that you want to add, any advice you want to give to anyone that be listening to this podcast? One of the most important pieces of advice that I'll give is what I tend to give when I'm doing face-to-face trainings or working with practitioners or therapists or, indeed, my clients, and that is that in life, we have crises of confidence, we have crises of meaning. It's something that every human being will have throughout their enjoyment of this world being here in this blink of an eye of existence. And one of the things that always helps me is that I question lots of things in my life, but I tend not to question things like Mother Nature. I find Mother Nature tends to know what she's doing. And she literally, out of 7 billion people in this world, has given every single individual human being a mark that says that they're entirely unique. And whenever you doubt yourself, look at your fingerprint and just say to yourself, I've been marked because there is something entirely beautiful, entirely unique, entirely individual. And to some degree, Mother Nature thinks I'm a masterpiece. And often we get lost in this idea of uniformity. We get lost in this idea that human beings are just here to live and to die. But I would say that why we're here is to find our reason, to find our process, to find our meaning and to find the impact that that meaning can have on the world. So I think that in those moments of crisis, just kind of connect with that and recognise what is it that I was placed here for? Why do I have this mark that separates me from everybody else in the rest of this, you know, planet? And from there, 
there has to be a reason that I can find that means intrinsically I'm gifted with something that I'm using. And as soon as I activate that, then really all the worries, all the concerns, all the fears I have about being an individuality, ability, they'll dissipate and I'll just be here doing what I was born to do. So finally, I would say, don't live your life like anybody else has ever told you. Don't follow the rules that anyone else has given you. They're all lies and that's why we're unhappy. The one thing that you need to do is to find the thing that you love. It doesn't matter whether that's painting, it doesn't matter whether that's collecting money for charities, it doesn't matter whether that's going to be an advocate for gorillas, it really doesn't matter. Whatever it is in your heart that tells you that you're here, that's your purpose. And don't let any parent, any tutor, any friend, any partner, anybody in the world tell you that it's a stupid idea, that it doesn't make sense, that it'll never happen. Because they're the voice of lies, and that's why everybody remains in situations where they feel stuck and broken. If you find your true passion, if you find your true dreams, you'll live your life happily every day. I'm evidence of that. That's beautiful. Um, um, So now for just some shameless promo. Um, Is there any way that people can find you, your social media, um, website? Um, So my social media is TV. You get me on Facebook where I do free clinics get me on Twitter where I'll be rambling about completely irrelevant things that I have really no meaning and professional probably shouldn't do. You can find me on YouTube again, Emma Kenny TV. If you want any advice or guidance, you can also go on ukenny.go.uk because there will be my website that has lots of stuff on. I've got an app called Appy coming out shortly, which is completely free package for health, well-being, fitness and nutrition. So everybody who's a student won't have to pay for any help like that ever again. Thank you so much. I really appreciate having you on and uh, have a great day. You too, my love. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye. Make sure to follow the podcast on all social media at Getting My Life Together UK on Instagram and at GMLT UK on Twitter. You can also subscribe to the podcast both on Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud to get a notification every time a new episode is out that you don't want to miss. Stay tuned for the next episode where we will be talking about nutrition and calorie counting with another special expert. See you next time. Bye.